0: the big bets on campus podcast. podcast
1: podcast all right here we go
2: spreading the court 10 seconds remaining they just
1: got to throw it under the basket under the basket it's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh, they did it. a miracle did it. double water hit that one from the parking lot
0: What's up, the Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the weekend college basketball betting preview. I'm stuck and Joining me, as always, are Mike and Mike, Mike Randall, Mike Calabrese. This will be the last episode of its kind this season. We will add our final future to our portfolio in the Futures Roundtable. We will recap, quick recap of the week that was, if you want to rant, key takeaway, wherever you want to go with it. And then, of course, we'll get to some weekend spots that we have circled. And then, starting Monday, we will record the first couple Sunday night. We will have ten, a 10-part 10 conference tournament betting preview with us three, Greg Waddell even got Tanner McGrath to come in the America East expert and the guys from the three-man weave will tackle every single conference tournament to get you prepared, whether you're betting them, watching them as a fan, partaking in pools, whatever it may be. But let's get right into it. Let's talk the week that was, like I mentioned before, anywhere you want to go with it. Randall, I'll start with you. What's going on, brother?
3: What's going on, brother? Look... I am well aware that Kentucky is flying and they look great and they're hitting their stride and their offense has been tremendous. But Chris Chance, that must have been the worst coaching decision by a really good coach that I've seen in a while. So you're Mississippi State and you're going to try to match offense for offense with Kentucky. And then in that game, you're running up and down the court, stuck there, running off of misses, running off of makes, sideline break, Pull up for three. I'm like, what are they doing? And they're still up 43-35 at the half. And I said, maybe they'll adjust. They'll slow it down. They double down on it. And it was a brilliant performance by Kentucky Reed Shepard. Just absolutely unreal. 32 points, great three-pointers. But folks, Kentucky is a sleeping dog that is sleeping no longer. They are starting to get it together. If you think all you people are going to face them in March Madness in the conference tournament, that the solution is to try to outrun them, you're going to be very disappointed. Guys, Kentucky is probably the biggest enigma we've seen from a big team coming in the tournament in a very long time. Because I don't know if they've solved their defensive problems. They did for a couple games against Auburn. They look good. But they're just going up and down the floor. I don't know what Mississippi State was doing. Just a bizarre choice. But you're giving Kentucky momentum, making them extremely dangerous, Stuck.
0: Yeah, hell of a game from Reed Shepard. Uh, I actually had some Mississippi State money line. So mine is a rant.
2: Remember, this is a safe space. You know what pisses me off most of all? Okay, you're ranting now, babe. Yeah, I'm ranting. Why not? You gotta let it out somehow.
0: I, it's, I'm actually, look, this is the last day of February. I'm looking forward to March because I had a decent February, but it's been a joyless season because I've, I think I'm, I've had 17 shots at the buzzer for covers uh, or non-covers, and I've had one go my way, uh, which was UCSD. Shot the UCSD, forced overtime with a shot, a crazy three last Saturday. But on Tuesday night alone, I had that. I had some Colorado State money line, And then the kicker was I had Wyoming. I mean, give me a break, Wyoming. (laughs) Wyoming plus five and a half. The, you know, UNLV goes 90% from the line, 45% from three. But Wyoming, the 50% free throw shooter, of course, makes both to tie it when I just needed to miss one. And then they miss the jumper to win it. And then in overtime, they miss a layout to clinch the cover. And then, of course, they miss a wide open three. At the end, they lose by six. That, I mean, there there is not many things more painful in betting than a college basketball underdog going to overtime and dying a slow death and losing by the hook uh so that was painful but i feel like now it might not come this season it might be next season these things even out of time but i'm overdue for some buzzer beaters so i'm hoping to have an exciting march and i cannot wait for march and uh my other rant is kind of just a a throw middle fingers up at texas a and m what a sad couple weeks for them and that offense which is was already in the dumps it's gone further into the dumps uh they're done uh, unless they win the sec tournament and magically find ways to make shots they're out of it on the positive side and i'll get to our futures portfolio in just a second st john's in in my opinion 100 in they're peaking at the right time huge win over butler and a blowout win too which helps their net rankings to follow up that creighton all they got to do beat georgetown beat DePaul, paul close out the year and i think they're in which is uh good for our futures portfolio because i think john's could be a dangerous team once they get in uh calabrese how about you where do you want to go from the week that was
2: well just uh to cap that st john's thought i was at nova georgetown earlier this week man is georgetown da- down like i i still can't believe sometimes they'll they'll flash like the march madness moments or the big east tournament moments like this was such a proud program, and the fact that it's fallen so far in a sport where you should be able to, with the transfer portal, get two quality starters in and turn your program around in one year. Now, no more of this like four to five year rebuild situations. So it's just it's just really sad to see, to be honest, as a Big East basketball fan. Yeah, they um,
0: should. They they have like a like somewhat decent talent they should be better than they are they're not like DePaul. paul like the ball the ball is void of talent if you just look at their roster but i agree George, college basketball is so much better when georgetown is good
2: and it's so rare because the commitment by the the school the administration and it's the only sport that their fans care about So it just doesn't make sense to me that it hasn't clicked. I know that this is just year one of Cooley, and we got to give them some time, but I'm a little bit surprised, as you alluded to, the overall roster talent should have been good enough to play, what, 500 ball in the Big East, something like that. Um, Two other quick I will not
0: take that Georgetown football slander.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Their baseball team is fun. My my cousin actually pitched for them back in the day. Um, Yeah, so essentially there's two teams that I – I'm interested to talk about with you guys and just kind of put this out there is Kansas officially dead or are we happy to write them off as a team that can go to the final four, even because losing to BYU stuck you tweeted about it. That was the first blown lead for Kansas at home. in what, you know, a hundred games, something like that, like to lose a game like that just seemed unthinkable. And I think the mystique and luster is just totally off of them at the wrong time, headed into the big 12 tournament, headed into March madness, you would think that they want to be playing their best basketball. I understand they've had injury issues with McCuller. Maybe that provides an opportunity to buy low on them, at least against the spread moving forward. But I just don't see them magically putting it all together in March. And then the other team is, I just like, I don't know because I look at the metrics and then I watch the games What I truly think about Tennessee, because Dalton Connects playing the way that he's playing, you have that feeling like he can just go and play hero ball and take them all the way to the Final Four or maybe a national title. But then also their underlying defensive metrics and giving up as many points as they have in certain games this year, I worry maybe they're more like a candidate to get shocked in the first weekend. So I'll pitch that to you guys real quick. What are your thoughts on Tennessee? Are you believing what you're seeing on the high end, or do you think that there's enough deficiencies plus – Rick Barnes in March kind of holding you back from being a ballbacker.
0: Well, I think we're gonna save that. I think because Randall, you're gonna have something in the future's portfolio potential.
3: fighting as hard as I can for it. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Uh I will say with Kansas, like look, Texas who had a really impressive win at Texas Tech. Warren Washington matters a lot for Texas Tech. Kevin McCullough matters a lot for Kansas. It was just one game and ever and you know people were saying ah oh, they, they don't need McCullough. is the best perimeter defender. Uh he is significantly better than Timberlake. He's a great shooter. Uh he brings so much to both ends of the floor. And it's not a deep Kansas team. And you know, you get a lot more Timberlake, you get a lot more Ar- Ar- Mar- Ar- El Marco Jackson, excuse me. And the team is nowhere close to the caliber that they were with McCullough. So his status, uh, I don't think we've gotten any more clarity. Um, but his status from self, he was just kind of like a little cryptic. We don't know when we're gonna get him back. You know, he's gonna he's a guy that's gonna be a three and D guy in the NBA. So that yeah, he's critical to Kansas. And Kansas has six losses in the Big 12. Bill Self's tenure never has had seven losses, which could happen this weekend against Baylor. Uh so uh before we get to futures portfolio. And we'll circle back on Tennessee for you, Calvary's. I got a quick quick trivia question for you guys. Uh, All right. Name the – can you name the three power conference teams, so current power conference teams that have never made
2: a Sweet 16? Oh,
3: Sweet 16. Okay.
2: BYU make one? They did. Yeah, with Danny Ainge. Is that right? We're well, not Danny
3: Ainge. Um, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. See. I think
0: BYU did it in 2010, 2011. And they did it a bunch way back in the
3: day. Reeks a Pac-12. Uh, I'll
0: give you a hint. There's no Pac-12.
3: Really? All right. Over oh, 2. Well, I know my BC Eagles did it once. Uh, all right.
2: I'm going to throw one in. Rutgers? Rutgers is...
3: Incorrect.
0: Mm. Rutgers made a Final Four way back in the day. Uh, but they have not made a Sweet 16 since. The, Be- the stuck Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt is incorrect.
2: Oh, I wonder if like Minnesota's vacated uh, run in 97. Does that qualify them? Um... So the, uh, the interesting thing,
0: the, the BYU team that made the Sweet 16 in... 2011 was the Fredette team mm-hmm. and they were really good they lost to florida in overtime in the sweet 16 um and that team if you remember had brandon davies their big man but he got dismissed from the team
2: for the honor code violation yeah for
0: the honor on march 1st and he was one of their besides for that one of their better players um i'll give you a hint uh not not Pac twelve, not ACC, and
3: not SEC. This is sad. <laughs> God, uh, so one's in the Big East.
0: Not necessarily.
3: What'd you say? Not SEC.
0: Not not ACC. Not Pac twelve.
3: Pac twelve. So we got Big Twelve. Big One of these teams is a
0: power conference team. Old number Oh, they <laughs> met- not SEC. Mark, Mark, never yeah. won a tournament. Mark one of these teams has ne- never won a tournament game. All right. I'll give you another one. one is in the big 12 and two are in the big 10.
3: UCF made a couple of years ago, right?
0: Nope. UCF is correct.
3: Ah. Mm. What was that? Oh, that game was round of 32. That game was round yeah, of 32. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was it against Duke. But well, that was round of 32 game.
0: Actually, no, they made the sweet 16. Who was the third. They did it way back.
3: Um,
2: Hold on. Nebraska. No Sweet Sixteen for Nebraska, correct? Okay. Nebraska's
0: okay. never won. Off we'll the Schneid, uh, a tournament game. Um, I guess this is since the, the field expanded. I guess because I, I'm, I'm I just looked up UCF, Nebraska, Northwestern, and UCF. UCF apparently made a.
3: Oh yeah, Northwestern got knocked out in the round of thirty-two. Also, that's right. They had that really good game. Yep,
0: Northwestern apparently made one, uh, Sweet Sixteen in like nineteen eighty. Um, all right. Anyway, let's move on to our futures portfolio. Our last futures ad, profitable last year, hoping to be profitable again this year. Let's recap the first eight before we add the ninth and final future to our portfolio. Houston to win the Big 12, plus 145. I think we got it. That looks great. Um, That should be a winner. Houston to win the national title, plus 950. Got a good price there. I think it's down to plus 750 everywhere now. Kentucky national title right around the price. You can still find now fine. And then a bunch of final four bets, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Clemson, St. John's all longer shots. And then fart noise, Texas A&M. That's my bet on that one. Hopefully Johns gets there and makes up for it Uh, or Clemson or any of them. And then we'll be in, we'll be sitting pretty, but we're going to add one more. Randall was itching to get his off of his chest. So I'm going to let him go first. What do you got?
3: I'm going to follow your lead, Stuck, which has never led me wrong. You were great last week in saying we need some hardcore teams. We need teams that have a chance to go far. We've messed around with some Final Four, messed around with some conferences, and we were solid with Houston, which was a great call. I am begging you guys to take Tennessee plus 1,300 to win the national title. I really believe this team has it this year. Everything is falling into place for them. 16th strength of schedule, 16th non-conference strength of schedule, 22 wins competing in the Southeast Conference. You want to say best, second best, whatever you want to say, that they are right there. They're top 20 in adjusted offensive efficiency, top three in adjusted defensive efficiency. Mike, I recognize their defense is not where it normally is, That's fair, but they still lock down inside the arc and finally have the late-game killer in Dalton Connect. He can be exposed defensively. That's fair, but they can go to him, which is something they've never had. Rick Barnes, five straight tournaments, sweet 16 last year. I was at Master Square Garden, 10-point lead over Florida Atlantic. This team plays well. They have chemistry. They have balance. They can run. They've gotten up and down the floor. They've beaten Kentucky in Kentucky. This is the team we need to choose. We need a piece of the Tennessee Volunteers. And guys, final part, if you want to get into it, Yes, they were in the week six AP poll. They were ranked in the top 12. They were number 12. Last 19 national champions have come from that. Guys, just like we got a piece of Houston, I think we need a piece of Tennessee. It's only plus 1,300. I wish it was a little higher, but I still think that's really good value on a team that really can only be exposed if someone can bang the boards against them, which is a very unique style. I think they have a run in them. I am begging you for the Tennessee Volunteers National Title future. Calvary's.
2: I am going to stick in the SEC, but I have a different suggestion. This team 14 to one to make the final four may present the Florida Gators. All right. They are nine and two straight up in their last 11, you know, with South Carolina Alabama at home they got the SEC these are games coming up South South Carolina Alabama at home the SEC tournament so they could play their way onto the sixth line I think that's a critical differential between the kind of teams you're going to face in the second round the round of 32 as opposed to having to go up against a two seed they're an elite rebounding team particularly in the offensive glass they grab 14 per game which is second nationally They're 30th in tempo 15th in offensive efficiency and then when you drill into who they are lately Since January 1st, 21st nationally, according to Torvik. And since February 1st, their defense has cracked the top 50. They're 44th in Torvik's metric. So they're starting to play better on that side. I trust their collection of guards as a whole, Clayton Jr., Poland, Richard. The big question for me is, can they get anything from Riley Kugel off the bench? Is he completely broken? Because the end of last year, he seemed like he was a player that was ascending. He was starting to come on strong. He started this year playing very well on the offensive end just 49 minutes in the last four games and only 10 total points coming off the bench. He's looked completely lost. I think he could be a difference maker off the bench. I'm hoping that he can get a little bit of confidence in the end of the regular season and the sec tournament to give them anything in March. And then when you look at their resume, neutral court wins against Pitt against Richmond, they played Baylor really well and scored in the nineties. They got a win at Rupp and an overtime loss on the road at Alabama, which I view basically as like a quality performance. So, This is a year where there's very few teams that have demonstrated multiple times over that they can play at a high level and beat quality teams on a neutral floor or away from home. Florida is not quite a team that has that huge, you know, marquee win on the road. But I think overall, their resume indicates to me that they can put it together. So I like Golden here finally getting his best Florida team together. I think he played the transfer portal perfectly. I really like this front court 14 to one. I think it's a pretty decent value.
0: Yeah, great coach team that kind of fits in our mold of like not three point reliant but they have they are capable from the outside when uh you know I mean if, if it would be a, a, as you said it would be a big bonus if Kugel gets going but um you know if uh Poland obviously can and if Clayton gets hot they're pretty unstoppable because they they can really dominate the offensive glass worry a little bit about the free throw shooting they're bigs at the line not, not they, good. they do yeah. scare me Uh, but eh, yeah, I mean, Florida is definitely going to be a team to be reckoned with come tournament time. Uh, all right. I'm going to throw out, I'm going to throw out, you can find 45 to one out there, Baylor to win the national title. Here's my case. We, they, they, they do have defensive issues, but you're seeing, the zone back, and we've seen Drew make runs with way less talented teams to the Elite Eight multiple times on the back of that zone, right? Unique zone, you don't see it often, you're out of conference, tougher to prepare for. But mainly, this Baylor team, I'm buying the upside uh, out of all the teams in the country that you look at i mean how many have two freshmen that are going to be draft picks who are uber talented and they're going to get langston love back who's just you know so they're they're kind of building more depth right now with him out but he's one of the best sixth men in the entire country but i think with those two freshmen they can i i feel like they're only going to continue to get better the ceiling is higher than I think like if you look at if you took the bands of most teams, like I don't think we've seen the ceiling. The ceiling like compared to where they are now might be the highest for Baylor. So I think there's a lot of upside there. The zone I think can help fix some of their defensive issues and could cause problems for teams on a quick turnaround come tournament time. So I'm proposing Baylor 45 to 1 to win the national title. All right, sign the vote. We have Hold up one for the Tennessee Volunteers to win the national title, two for Florida to make the final four, and three for Baylor to win the national title. One for Tennessee, two for Florida, three for Baylor. Three, two, one. This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5 for new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms, conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Randall Wentz. Uh
3: Rocky Top.
2: We, we talked trivia earlier. The last time Rick Barnes won a game in I knew Cal weekends, was going to bring this up. <laughs> George George W. Bush was the president of the United States, so it has been a minute since he's done any damage in the second weekends. I I I'm not even I'm not being facetious. Like I was trying to play out both sides at the beginning of this episode because there is so much to love and like you, all you have to do is watch Connects play, and you're like, if he scores twenty eight per game in the tournament, they're going to be able to beat just about everybody that they play. So. There's certainly a path to victory. There's no you know, mental gymnastics that you have to go through. And I do think defensively, it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. They've allowed themselves to play faster and up-tempo in some games. I think they can protect themselves by playing a little bit slower. But in a year that a lot of the top teams have a glaring weakness, I don't think it's ridiculous, particularly at this price, to go ahead and grab the ball. So I don't hate it at all.
3: What I'd say, Mike, is I wish we could find out how Ziegler plays in the tournament because yeah. I really think he's the bellwether of this team. When he's hot, three of six from three-point range, they almost never lose. He is the option. He's the engine. You know they're going to connect. Sure, I'll get a couple of bigs on the on the post hooks, but like that's that's it. I just I think they have enough. I really do. And maybe I'm falling in love with the narrative too that I know Barnes is terrible, but he does have sustained success. All of a sudden, we're selling short sustained success. I get it. He got there with tj ford can he get there with dalton connect that's the question
0: yeah and i also will say i really think like right now if and look the, that narrative used to exist about uh, so many coaches right it used to exist about bill self uh jay Wright,
2: Wright jay right jay Wright,
0: Wright one. uh tony bennett so you know it's a it's a tournament where random stuff random shit happens and a lot of coaches go a long time without winning i will say if you look at tennessee In Arizona right now, like this for the one seed. So there's a chance, a really good chance that Tennessee gets up to the one seed. It'll probably come down to like, do either of them suffer another loss in the regular season, or does only one of them win their conference tournament? And then in which case they would get the one. But I would would probably say that Tennessee 50-50 shot to get a one seed um, with Arizona, because it looks like Houston, UConn, and Purdue are pretty locked. So that would only help as well. All right, uh, good stuff. Our final future... Tennessee volunteers we got Tennessee and Kentucky uh Tennessee fans (laughs) are not going to be happy with having Kentucky that are following along and vice versa um and then we got a old reliable Houston all right uh good stuff let's get to the weekend and we'll talk about some spots that we had circled Randall as the uh, winner of the final futures Hmm. roundtable I'll let you start what do you got
3: yeah, I'll start on Saturday here, I right? I'll I'll piggyback off what you said about Baylor. They're playing Kansas at home. Uh, I don't think they're messing around. The, you end up having a, a Baylor team now that you've seen. They've gone up and down, but they have the potential. They're playing Kansas here. It looks like they have Kansas, then they have Texas, then they have Texas Tech remaining. They did lose a close game at Kansas, 64-61. I project this line, Ken Palm has it at five, probably about six or seven. I just I don't Kansas on the road Furphy has been a different player on the road than he's been at home. Uh, they're coming off the bin one over TCU. They lost the game at home to Houston. They're certainly battling for seeding here. Kansas without McCuller is just a different different team. That was a bad loss to BYU. BYU needed it badly. Uh, but you saw that they have been fantastic at home, even without McCuller. But they're starting to come back to earth. The zone is causing problems. Losing one of your best three-point shooters, really playing at a first-team All-American level, is going to hurt them. I think it's a Baylor comfortable win on Saturday, March second, against the Jayhawks.
0: Yeah, Kansas doesn't shoot threes like that. I feel like they're uh, a zone candidate. Bad matchup. And yeah, without especially without McCuller. And from reports I read today, there's a decent chance Baylor gets Langston Love back on Saturday. He's ramping up at practice, be a huge addition uh off the bench, a guy who can fill up a box score, as well as anyone coming off the bench. Cal what do you got?
2: One more trip to the Ivy League. Friday night, Cornell laying three and a half at Penn. There's a three-way tie atop the Ivy at nine and two between Cornell, Princeton, and Yale. Cornell split with Yale and can complete the two-game sweep on Saturday over Princeton, but it's all for naught if this tri- if they trip up against Penn on the road. This is just a really good matchup for them. They hammered Penn by 17 in Ithaca. And critically, Penn has nothing left to play for. They're in the middle of a nosedive. They've lost 9 of 10 straight up, 7 of those losses by 7 points or more. 3 straight home losses against the spread to Harvard by 9, Yale by 14, Brown by 13. And this Penn team is so bad defensively. This is actually going to be, according to my spreadsheet, my biggest bet in terms of a disparity this year between shooting defense and shot making Opponents make nearly 54% of their attempts against the Quakers. That's 314th in the country. Cornell, the best shooting team inside the arc at 62%. That's number one in the USA. Penn's not going to force any turnovers, so they got no opportunity really to slow down this Cornell attack in this one. I would play this up to five. I think this is only priced in this kind of range because it's a look-ahead moment with Princeton on deck, but I I still see this as a game that they need, and I think they're going to win comfortably.
0: Yeah, Ivy, the most interesting part of the race, I believe, is just for the fourth spot. And that's going to come down between, what, Harvard and Brown, who play right. each other tomorrow yeah. night. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both at five and six. So massive game. I actually like Brown. Uh, I haven't seen a online, but hoping it's around a pick. Probably won't be. it probably be minus two. Um, I'm going to go. Let's, it's time to buy our Badgers. Let's buy our Badgers. They've... They're two and six in February. Uh, they're, They're hosting Illinois here. Sounds bad, but five of those six losses came by two possessions or less or in overtime. They lost two overtime games. Five of the eight games they played were on the road. Now they're back home. They've lost twice at home this year to Tennessee and Purdue. Two potential one seeds. That's it. And... During that eight-game stretch, a lot of it's just three-point variance. they shoot 28% from three. That's 326th in the country. Before that, over their first 20 games, they shot over 36%, which was 70th in the country. Shots are going to start falling. Most importantly, though, the Illinois defense is broken. I it's mean, all, it's awful they Stuck. Can't, they can't defend anybody. They, Jumbo shrimp. <laughs> uh, month, month of February, 249th in adjusted defensive efficiency per Torvik. They can't defend at the rim, can't defend at the post. That's trouble against Wisconsin, 95th percentile and post-up rate for Synergy. Illinois allowing uh, post-up frequency to 97th percentile with below average efficiency. Wisconsin can keep Illinois off the offensive glass and then keep them out of transition, which is where Illinois really thrives. So uh, I think that this is a great opportunity to buy Wisconsin at home, they haven't, also their seniors, they haven't beat Illinois ever, they've lost six straight, I think they'll be up for this game, and Illinois, you know, they're not having necessarily been road warriors this year, we saw them blow the lead to Penn State, they, their road wins have come against Rutgers, Michigan, Ohio State, and Maryland, so uh, yeah, two offenses that want to get to the rim, I trust the Wisconsin defense much more than this Illinois reeling defense, and for what it's worth, Illinois, Purdue at home on deck. So, not the best situational spot as well. Randall, what else you got?
3: South Carolina is done with their little stumble, little stumble there against Auburn and LSU. They are back. Michi Johnson pumping in 22 against Texas A&M. When they are home, they are hard to score on. Here comes Florida. You mentioned it with the free throw stuck. I I don't like uh, backing teams that struggle from the free throw line to cover on the road. This line should be low enough, and Florida is hot enough that people are buying into them, but their defense is not nearly going to be inside the arc enough to prevent this South Carolina team. And South Carolina has proven time and time again that at home they will lock you down. They step out. They hit timely threes. Like the South Carolina team a lot. They're playing well. Very big win. Texas A&M absolutely needed. I think they've righted the ship. You'll get a low line here. Maybe uh, South Carolina by one or two. I think they win this game outright. Like Florida, I just think there's a difference here in the toughness and the defensive mindset. Lamont Paris, every team goes through a stumble. They've righted the ship. They're ready to go. I don't think Florida pulls the upset on the road. So the line will be low enough. I'll take the Gamecocks. What do you got, Calvary's?
2: My two Saturday plays, are like dogs catching points. Let's go South Florida plus three and a half at Charlotte. The Bulls are 19 and one straight up in their last 20, but they got to keep winning if they have any at-large hopes that they want to keep alive. Charlotte nearly upset the Bulls down in Tampa. But when you look at that game, I still view it as a positive because the Bulls found a way to win during an off-shooting night. They're plus four in the offensive rebounding margin, plus six in the turnover margin. This is a team that just finds ways to win, grinds out Ws. They've been consistent because they defend so well. They're 37th in opponent uh, shooting efficiency, and they play up. This is my new favorite stat from Evan Maya on his website. It's called Opponent Adjust Metric, and it basically measures if a team plays better or worse when punching up or punching down. USF is the fifth team nationally when it comes to their play improving against good teams. So Charlotte's a good one. They have their attention by almost upsetting them. At home, I think they're going to play well on the road, and I'll take the three and a half.
0: Uh, I'm going to go – I'm going to throw out Iowa against Northwestern. Uh, Iowa's playing better of late, and I think they just match up really well with Northwestern. More importantly, Northwestern, they already lost Tyberry, and they might be without Langboard again. And as a result, they had to start a walk-on. Well, they still won it. Maryland, why? Because Maryland cannot throw the ball into an ocean. They went two of 22 from three. Most of them were wide open. Northwestern's defense is bad. The only thing they do, you know, they can pull double the post. They do play big men very well, but and they cause a lot of turnovers. Well, Iowa, top 10 in the country in turnover rate. They do not give the ball away. And they Northwestern's gonna foul you a ton. Bottom 50 in the country. Iowa can take advantage there, top 20 in the country from the line. And Northwestern's in, in the tourney. And by the way, all these injuries, everyone is playing like 40 minutes a night. I worry about their legs. And Iowa, I think that they have a chance to get in. They could be the team that everyone says, what the, how did they get in? They're not on anyone's radar. They're not in like bracket matrix. But if you look at their, now they have to win this game. Um, and they still have more work to do. But they're sneakily playing better of late, and Northwestern also loves to work in the mid-range. Iowa's defense, ninth nationally in mid-range field goal percentage allowed. And Northwestern, they're just not going to keep shooting at this rate. They're shooting 45% from three over the past 10 games. That's number one in the country. That won't last. Uh, I like Iowa your Matchup, and, and Northwestern's just not healthy, and they've gotten away with it because no one has made shots or Teams have gotten in foul trouble, but I like Iowa here. You got anything else, Randall?
3: Last one, maybe because I sat and watched them last week. Guys, St. Bonaventure, of course, we know is so well coached by Mark Schmidt. He had a plan. He was going to take his big man, Chad Venning, and he was going to go at Josh Cohen all game long. It was obvious. He had to touch the ball. I was sitting right behind the bench. Make sure Chad gets a touch. Make sure Chad gets a touch. That got Josh Cohen of UMass in foul trouble, and that throws them off. St. Bonaventure is a terrible matchup for the Minutemen. If they face them in the A-10 tournament, it's good night. They're not moving on. But they're playing now on the road, UMass, a Davidson team that is not going to bring that level and that structure against them. They've done a pretty decent job overall. They just need to make some threes. Diggins was invisible for them. Curry is a really good freshman, guys, for UMass. He's a legit scorer for them. They're going to hit a couple threes. They rebounded nicely against George Washington. That was an easy win. I like the way this UMass team is with Frank Martin. Now they're moving to the MAC. Uh, The basketball uh, people may not be happy about that, but we are because I think there's some good talent in the MAC. But I like UMass on the road at Davidson on Saturday. Don't believe in Davidson, they can be pushed around. Cohen doesn't get in foul trouble, guys. They beat St. Bonaventure. They win that game. They are 10 and six in the A10. But that's the key. Matt Cross had an off game. They couldn't make any shots at home. St. Bonaventure, just a different matchup than Davidson. I think they go on the road. Their physicality showed through at Richmond, their physicality showed through at Dayton where they hung around. I think they get the job done here with Frank Martin on the road at Davidson. I will take them as a slight underdog against Davidson on Saturday. What are,
0: yeah, Bonnie's, uh, Davison can't shoot, so their offense just doesn't work. They usually right. can shoot, and those McKillop offenses are a well-old machine, but nothing works if they can't shoot it, and they can't shoot it this year. I give them credit for their defense. The defense is actually one of their better defensive teams they've had in a while, but uh they just can't shoot. Come simple as that. Brenda, what are your thoughts or others' thoughts on on the move from a uh, UMass perspective. Do you have any?
3: Yeah, stuck only because I went through this at Boston College. And here's my thing. I, I, We were all excited when I was at BC and they announced they were going to the ACC. The problem is the school has to adjust. So Boston College has never lowered their admission standards when they went to the ACC, which is why, even though they went right away, I had Matt Ryan, they had a little bit of a bump, a hangover from being in the Big East, they've never succeeded really since because they're not attracting the players. They're not expanding their recruiting base and maybe just giving reasonable admission standards. I still remember when Jim O'Brien was at Boston College, they lost three players because the admissions department wouldn't let them in. Mike Bradley, who went to Kentucky, Jonathan DePino, who went to Harvard, and Elton Tyler, who went to Miami. And after that, O'Brien pretty much was done and that was it. So my comment will be, if UMass is able to adjust going to the MAC, we know it's because of football, I get that, but they can become a dominant program there in the MAC and really improve themselves. The problem is the fans are frustrated right now because the A 10, Chaz Williams went on Twitter and said he probably would not have come to UMass if they were in the MAC because he was already, I think, in the CAA, he was looking for a bigger exposure. So I think if they have the right mindset, they could become a dominant program in that league but you know it's because of football. The question is, will the administration and the program do what they have to do to become now a big fish in a small pond instead of being in the ACC where they had history? Yeah, I still don't understand what. I don't pretend
0: to be an expert on this, of how all this works, but like UMass, which makes sense, they petitioned for the men's and women's lacrosse to stay in – the A10s. So I can't imagine the Mac has the, uh, great lacrosse teams. But why 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 can't the football team just go and the basketball team stay? Uh I guess that's like
2: part of the the Mac is requiring that. The Mac wants both.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Calice, anything else from you?
2: Yeah, just I mean, I, I think the hardest thing for UMass and their fans is to try to build any kind of rivalries with their their new, you know, conference partners. And Beyond football, at least football, there is a path, there's a brand, there's Maction, you have national notoriety. In basketball, I agree with the assessment of some of these players, you're taking a step down, because ironically, they've been able to figure it out in football, but not in basketball. Why aren't there, you know, standalone games for Maction on the the hardwood on Friday, like no one's playing basketball on Friday anymore, get back to that, give yourself an opportunity to be on some of these major networks and build things up. And then the last piece of it for me When you were talking about Boston College, a big part of it is when you move conferences geographically, this won't impact UMass because they're already so low in recruiting anyway, but when BC left, you lose those regional partners and an opportunity to be able to say to families like, all right, we're going to play at Rutgers and we're going to play at Syracuse and we're going to be in these states And that gives you a a better chance of creating pipelines there. When the majority of your commerce partners are 500, 600 miles away, and you don't hire somebody who has a pipeline into South Florida or some kind of connections or hires a recruiting coordinator, then you're already behind the eight ball. And I think you're really seeing that and why it's, you know, put this artificial cap on where BC football can be because they have not gone out and tried to game the system a little bit. And by not having those regional rivalries, They don't get the Jersey kids in the same way they used to, or when New York has a top 300 player, like they're just not even in the conversation. So I think that's long-term what hurt the Eagles.
3: Yeah, the move of Bill yeah. O'Brien is, I'm sorry, stuck. The move of Bill O'Brien is a good one because now we have ourselves that coach that's been in the NFL. So players feel like they can go there and be recruited up. The problem with Boston College is they were getting small time coaches without connections, moving to the ACC, who in the warm weather wants to go to BC. Plus, you had the admission standards. Again, and I'm not saying lower, but you have to be reasonable. You have to compete. That's what it is. And listen, I went down to the, the uh, ACC championship game at Jacksonville stuck years ago. I'm going back 15 years. I mean, it was like, nine tenths virginia tech fans <laughs> it was you know so that's another issue as well
0: yeah yeah i mean i'm curious to see the it's obviously a little a step down for basketball but it actually might work out now this is the double-edged sword like they might have an easier path now with a to the ncaa tournament but Now playing in the Mac can they still get draw the same caliber of players. Yeah. But like, does more success end up leading to higher caliber? So that'll be really interesting to watch. And the football team just has to be better. They're kind of heading the right direction. They were so bad before. You can't develop any rivalries when you suck. Like you gotta be good, and then like you'll have wars with teams, and then they'll have meaningful games. If everyone just walks all over you you're you're obviously not going to develop any new rivalries uh anyway i digress uh do you have any anything else for this weekend
2: yeah i got one more i'm gonna go with umass lowell catching probably seven at vermont up in burlington you know the river hawks when they played the top teams from the america east they played well they you know they beat bryant they took vermont to overtime in their first meeting they actually beat bryant by nine on the road And a big part of that's the continuity with their lineup and their rotation. Their starters have started every game together this season. They all average over 10 points per game. As a team, they defend the three-point line really well better than just about anybody in the america east they rebound well and they get to the line a whole lot i like the being able to get to the line element for taking your show on the road particularly when you're trying to hang around with a team that's on the cusp of two three possessions in terms of being a favorite so i just don't see uvm running them off the floor in this game so i'll take the riverhawks plus seven
3: i'm curious mike what's your read tonight on brian at umass Lowell? look ahead
2: I think it could be a look-ahead moment. Um, I, I think in general, too. No, they-, they
3: both need it,
0: though, for that. for, for right. the, You want to get as high a seat as possible, right? And Because you host games for as long as possible. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure they want that Vermont game, too. But And they should have beat Vermont. That yeah. was one of the buzzers that got stolen from me. They had a layup, and they called a timeout. Uh, and then called a timeout with one second left. They had a layup, and then... Uh, it was awful. And then they just inbounded it and did nothing. And then it went to overtime and they lost a uh, typical dog. I swear. Um, I
2: swear. I wasn't trying to trigger you there. It was just coincidental that that was one of your many, uh, bad beats on the, the final possession.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have, by the way, I'll have my write up for Saturday's card out on actionnetwork.com network.com and the action network app. I'll also include like, I'm going to wait for today's results tomorrow's some of the conference tournaments that are ending this weekend what i'll include a bunch of um just scenarios and for example you know the patriot league colgate is everything locked up they're going to lehigh colgate has nothing to play for
2: lehigh the the last time they met the only thing i'll push back on you know before you you get into the weeds on that game is that colgate was in the exact same situation last year and they just kept blasting everybody down the stretch like they locked it up with like three or four games to go but I do think that's a situational element to understand once these auto-bid teams are in, like they they have zero at large hope, so it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, we'll get into the Patriot Leagues on the night because Lehigh almost beat him without arguably their best player. Yeah. Uh who's back and they are significantly better now with Higgins. Uh, you know, like Charleston already has the one seed locked up, Sanford, um, high point, but Vermont is already clinched. Um but I'll note some of those. One, the last one I'll, I'll give out. Uh, well, I, I think I'm, I might be on Gonzaga. St. Mary's shooting, I mean, Gonzaga's playing a lot better. They need this game much more than St. Mary's, but more importantly, St. Mary's isn't healthy. I think the loss of Jefferson matters. Their other big has been out, one of their reserve bigs. And they're shooting 45% from three in the month of February. That's not sustainable. And is playing much better. I don't think St. Mary's is going undefeated. Um, I think Zag gets that win. And I'll, I'll look for an inflated number with San Jose State against UNLV. UNLV playing really well. They're 6-1 in February. They're like in the running somehow for the Mountain West yeah. regular season title. But no one can make a shot against them. Teams are shooting 23% from three with a high volume. They give up a bunch of threes. San Jose State, there's one thing they can do. They have some shooters. They'll chuck it up. And, you know, UNLV coming off that overtime win in altitude in Wyoming. And guess what? They have San Diego State and Nevada on deck. So this is just like a sleepy home spot where they'll probably go through the motions. Uh, so I'll hopefully get a a decent number on San Jose State. But that'll do it for us. We now will go prepare for all of our conference tournament previews. The first two episodes will be out on Monday. We will cover three conferences in each. Calabrese, Greg and I will be doing OVC, A Sun, and Patriot. And then Randall and I will handle Horizon, which is a fascinating conference from contrasting styles and matchup perspective, the fun belt, and the good old NEC. So check those out on Monday, and then we'll continue rolling out episodes uh over the next week and a half. 10 in total covering all the conference tournaments. But before I close things up up here, let's throw it to Colin Wilson, our good old friend Colin. And Mike Calvary is on here now. We're going to give a little update on the college baseball futures market power ratings. Just a little snippet.
2: College baseball is back and getting more love than ever, particularly from TV networks. So with ratings and interest ticking up, we want to provide an overview on the futures market. And there's no better person to do it than our college baseball expert. He's dedicated to the diamond. He's our meteorologist in the Midwest. Our very own Colin Wilson, if you're looking for Friday probables, if the wind's blowing in or out in a small college town, or you just want
1: to cut it up and talk anything from war to x fip Colin is your man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, except for the $30 that's out of my pocket because I had to buy Flow Sports last weekend. It's like UMass, some of the, the college baseball, like you have to go and buy an additional subscription. It it kind of stinks, but you know what? I will pay anything to watch college sports. It doesn't ma- It doesn't even matter if it's basketball, baseball, or football i've done something similar with mississippi valley state basketball but let's talk about some of the top
2: teams in the country in this particular sport we're going to go down the futures board and look at the top eight teams and who you think have value at this point point. and we'll get it started with wake at the very top of the board they're currently plus 750 to win it all last season they entered the college world series as the top seed but they couldn't get past the eventual champs at lsu And a reminder to anyone not in the know, the preseason number one team has not won the whole thing since Miami back in 1999. So it is no sure thing that you're even going to make a deep run when you're the preseason number one. Then on the personnel front, Rhett Lauder leaves. Josh Hartle takes over as the ace in the rotation. So I'll pitch this question to you. Why could that team last year not do it? And is there uh, a little bit of magic for the Demon Deacons this season to finally get over the hump?
1: Yeah, Wake Forest is right now 7-1 to one in the market. I don't think that's ever going to change leading up to regionals. And the thing is they're about to enter an AC, ACC play and they'll dominate the teams that they should. But there are two best pitching staffs in the nation, a 1A and a 1B, and this is definitely 1A with Hartle. Chase Burns transferred in from Tennessee. He goes on Saturdays, and Michael Massey goes on Sundays. And they can win it all. It's just that they ran into LSU last year, and nobody was beating LSU in the heater that they were on. So sadly, we still have that streak that you talked about where the number one overall seed in the postseason hasn't won it all since 99. They haven't even played in the championship game since I think like 2008. So you don't want this spot. Well, Wake Forest is the best team in the nation, but you still, you don't want this spot.
2: All right. You mentioned LSU plus 750 in the market to repeat as defending champions, but they lose the huge star power, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz. My first question, did they
1: fully reload? And second, how good could this bullpen be? Could this be their calling card this time around? Well, the bullpen is marginally better than last year, but it was a dumpster fire last year. It was LSU's biggest problem was giving up games once their starters went out. Now, Thatcher Hurd has moved from Saturday over to Friday. He's putting up some pretty electric numbers, but the season may depend on Alabama transfer Luke Holman going on Saturday night because the bullpen hasn't taken a huge step forward. The numbers are fine right now, but we haven't started having conference play against other SEC teams. Don't see the lineup being as potent, although we've gotten 20 runs on the board so far, but it's really hard to replace Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens. It's just impossible to replace that production. So that number also plus 750, I don't see that tailing off at all. That number is going to be around for another month.
2: Speaking of other SEC teams, there's a few bundled here in the 10-to-1, 11-to-1 range. Let's start with the Arkansas Razorbacks, your hogs. You've written that this is the deepest pitching staff Dave Van Horn has had in three decades in Fayetteville. Hagan Smith has the look of an All-American already, but do you think they'll have enough from the plate to get it done? They were 98th nationally in slugging last year, and they're off to a quiet start to the season with four runs or fewer in five of their first eight games. Do they get it done at the dish to make a deep run in the College World Series?
1: Yeah, the entire lineup has basically been Juco transfers and transfer portal guys. Some of the best ones that were out there. Dave Van Horn got him in to come play in Fayetteville. Specifically, our shortstop, Aloy, came from Sacramento State. Hawaii kid, everybody should check him out. He is going to be lethal and you're right. Arkansas is 1B when I mentioned the best pitching stabs in the nation. Hagan Smith is a Randy Johnson reincarnation. We've got our former closer, Brady Tiger, going on Saturdays. And then on Sundays, we got Texas Tech Friday night guy Mason Molina to come in, and he's throwing just as many strikeouts as Hagan Smith. So it's all there for Arkansas, but they've already blown two games because of misproper use of the bullpen, which is a part of Dave Van Horn's entire career as the head coach of Arkansas I have zero dollars and zero cents on my alma mater. I can't even believe it because we've already lost two games to bullpen meltdowns. So sadly, I won't have any money on them for the next month.
2: On the other side of the coin, it's a team that has different strengths and weaknesses. That's Tennessee also 10 to one in the market. They have a potentially elite lineup, but they have depth issues on their staff. You get drew beam on Friday nights, but who else can you rely upon in their rotation?
1: Yeah, AJ Russell has proven himself so far. He'll be—he's—he's he's gone on uh, Friday nights and Saturday nights with Drew Beam. Uh, those definitely are one-two on the staff, just as good, just a tier below Arkansas and Wake Forest from a pitching perspective. The lineup has so far been good enough to put runs up on the board. They're cruising right now. We're gonna have to get to SEC play to see what they do against the Vanderbilt's, the Tennessees. I'm sorry, the LSU's to see how good this whole team. But I love Tony Vitello. As a coach, I just wish he would take it easy on making fun of Arkansas, his former coaching uh, position that he had. All right,
2: Florida, 11 to one to win it all. I know this is a team sport, but we got to start with Jack Caglione. Is he the next Otani? Because he can throw 99 from the bump. He's a bit of a free swinger, but when he connects, my God, led the nation with 33 homers last year. The question here is simple. Is he good enough to put the whole team on his back? Is he truly that generational talent or is it a little bit overblown in Gainesville?
1: Yeah, they lost some of their best pitchers. The pitching staff was the big questions here, but Jack Haglione throws on Sunday and that's after he's jacking 30 home runs uh, after playing in the field in game one and game two. So Florida is definitely deserves to be in the top five. They deserve a nine to one number, but they have a, the biggest thing that everybody needs to watch over the next month is Saturday nights with freshman pitcher Liam Peterson. This team is not going to make a deep run unless Liam Peterson is dominating in game two of every series.
2: All right. Let's finally go out West for a team, Oregon state, 16 to one to win it all. This is a team that lacks star power, but they have no appreciable weaknesses. They're sound defensively. They can run on you, but is there a lack of a true ACE going to hold them back? And the way I'll phrase this question, is there a precedent set for a team to win it all without a dominant number one at the top of the rotation?
1: Coastal Carolina won it all without a dominant rotation. That's something I could think of, but it, it, uh, you know, if you get hot at the right time coming into Omaha, you can do anything And Oregon state's one of those teams. Now they, certainly needed Aiden May, their Friday night starter. He transferred in from Arizona. They need him to fill that spot as staff anchor. He came out of the game early against Arkansas and Arlington last weekend, grabbing his wrist, grabbing his elbow. He had a trainer walk off with him. If Aiden May is not pitching on Friday night this weekend, Oregon State's overall chances for a postseason and for a deep run are going to be very limited without their transfer star pitcher that's on Friday night. So keep an eye on Aiden May.
2: Another team at 16 to one. That's actually my pick right now to add to my futures portfolio. That's TCU. This is a team that I've been bullish on dating back to last season, really because they're pitching Cole Klecker as your Friday night star and then Peyton Toll. I think that's a great one to punch and a great place to start things off. This, st- this staff's already top 10 in strikeouts with nearly 12 per game. What do they have to do to be considered in the same breath as a wake or an LSU by the time we get to late April?
1: They're going to have to dominate the Big 12. They're going to have to show up against their SEC teams that they play midweek. Uh, they're going to have to dominate this schedule. The RPI is going to be a big deal of it, but they have the talent all the way, whether it's Peyton Talley, who also plays in the field. He's sort of a light Jack, Jack Caglione from Florida who's a light Shohei Otani. Peyton Talley can do the same thing. Cole Clucker is the one where I've got real worries because he has a very high ERA, FIP, and X FIP. There's always a lot of runs in his game, but the good news is this TCU lineup is loaded. They can throw a ton of runs up on the board and maybe the best closer of all top 10 teams with Benabelt coming in at the end. TCU is a legitimate national title threat. This number is only going to get shorter as we go along. So we mentioned seven teams so far from here, the odds really start to jump up in the 20 to one and
2: longer range of the grouping. Let's call it A&M, Bama, Vandy, UVA, Clemson, Duke. Who do you like there as a team to potentially keep an eye on and add to a portfolio of futures moving forward?
1: Yeah. The bet right now by far is the Alabama Crimson Tide. They're 35 to one out there. If they sweep this weekend, there's a big weekend going on in Frisco. They're going to be taking on Arizona, Dallas Baptist, and a rising top 25 Indiana. If Alabama comes out of this weekend from Frisco undefeated, I expect this number to be 20 to one. It will never look back as they get into SEC play. This is a team that challenged a run to Omaha last year. They brought a lot of that back. They have a fantastic closer, they have a fantastic lineup. They're going to be able to hang inside of SEC play. And uh, you know, after this scandal and everything, and, and Luke Holman, the pitcher transferring to LSU, this team still has enough to not just make a deep run, but to get to Omaha and challenge for the national title. So give me Alabama 35 to one. They sweep this weekend. That's going to be a lot shorter. Roll tide roll. Anybody else uh, pique your interest? I Virginia almost made the top 10. I know we put out a top 10 action network power ranking. Virginia is almost there. The problem with Virginia... They have one of the highest park factors of any team, not just the ACC, of all division one. They average 1.4 more runs at home than they do on the road. So you're going to see like these crazy numbers of Virginia beating teams by 15 to 20. But we don't know how good they are on a national scale until they play Wake Forest or some of the big boys in the ACC. So I love Virginia. We got to see some competition out of them. So I'll be serving as Colin's bullpen
2: catcher, keeping him fresh, keeping him warm so he can come into these BBOC segments, give you some actionable intel. Also, be sure to check him out on the Action Network website and award-winning app. He goes through pitching probables, matchups, as well as his power rankings, and there'll be more of that coming in the next six weeks. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. All right, back to the college hoops, grinds, and Stucky.
0: All right. Thanks, Colin. Nice to hear your voice again. And just as an FYI, college baseball episodes right here on this podcast channel. We'll be starting in mid-April, right, Mike, through the College World Series.
2: That's right. We're going to start a little bit earlier. Everyone was, you know, really fell in love with them last year, going through the Super Regionals and giving out our futures portfolio as it went. So we're just responding to the demand. TV ratings are up you know, ESPN's given them more love with national telecasts, so we're happy to oblige.
0: All right. Look forward to those episodes. Thanks to Mike and Mike for joining me. Thanks to our producer, Matt Mitchell, on the back end. Most importantly, thanks to all of you for tuning in. By the time you're listening to this, it will be March. March is here. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Good luck on all of your wagers this weekend and throughout the month. We'll be back Saturday morning, 1030 a.m. Eastern, BBOC Live. And then we'll be back with all those conference tournament previews episodes next week, starting Monday. Make sure you subscribe, 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 tell a friend, tell an enemy. Thanks for listening again. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers.
3: Action Network
0: reminds you, please gamble responsibly.